Get the Balance Right, a podcast for creative female entrepreneurs who want to get control of their finances, make more money, and live a balanced life. I'm your host, Heather Zeitzwolf, CPA and profitability coach. Join us each week to learn ways to run a more profitable business through inspiring discussions with financial professionals, business experts, and thought leaders. If you're looking for a quirky spin on business with a dab of woo-woo, grab your headphones. Together, we will break through our fears, live a life of abundance, and get the balance right. Hey, peeps. Welcome to Get the Balance Right Podcast. I'm so happy that you're here today. I am your host, Heather Zeitzwolf. On today's show, we are talking all about building communities to support and nurture our audience, whether that be followers, fans, clients, prospects, members, etc. Through fostering community engagement, we can help strengthen and grow our brand. To discuss this topic, we are joined by Tracy Root, the founder of Gather, which started as a brick and mortar space, but due to COVID, the physical location morphed into an online presence, now known as the Gather community. In this episode, we discuss this transformation along with the importance of community and how to build your own based around your business, whether it be used as a vehicle to promote your brand or as a revenue stream. Let's just face the facts. Online communities are growing at a rapid pace, many of which were the result of the pandemic lifestyle. As humans, we crave community, especially when most of us are hunkered down in our homes, still unable to roam free without being masked up. Ugh. Many community spaces are still closed or have strict rules. However, online we can remove our masks. And typically, we have the freedom to choose if we want our cameras on or if we want our cameras off. New platforms are popping up all the time. Although Facebook is a popular method due to its usability, familiarity, no fees, people know it, there are members and all of that. Sidebar, if you haven't joined my online communities, which are one on Facebook, get the balance right, Facebook group, please join it. There are other tools for gaining traction. I'm personally a fan of Mighty Networks. I've used it with other groups that I'm in, but a quick Google search will offer a plethora of other options. Here's what I came up with. I didn't even know about these. Hivebrite, Apricot, which I think is either mentioned in this interview or another one, Open Social. Squarespace, I knew that they had an option. Along with that, there's connectivity software such as Participate, which I found from a Google search. And then there's app integration, such as Passion.io, again, found in a Google search. You can even build an audio-based community through Clubhouse or a video community through Zoom gatherings. Building and supporting communities is a growing business. According to the Global Web Index 2020, 66% of those surveyed said that the main reason they love and engage in online communities is because... They provide the ability to connect with others who have similar interests. Kind of a no-brainer, but I mean, that is hitting the nail on the head, right? However, it is not all unicorns and rainbows, as the same study showed that 14% of internet users were found to mistrust content generated and found on these same community sites. Hmm, what does that mean? 
I'm thinking trolls, turning over the keys to your community, to people and not really monitoring that. Be aware of that. Now, counter with that finding, according to YouGov survey commissioned by Facebook last year, this study resulted in 77% of its respondents attributing online community as their most important groups that they identify with. That is powerful. 77%. For those using online communities for brand awareness, the stats are in their favor. As according to the top 42 online community statistics and trends for 2021, which discovered that 94% of community members that were polled said that they have used communities to get more information about a new topic. And being able to gather information is the main reason they engage in online communities. Within the same study, 66% of branded community owners believe that their community has had a significant impact on their ability to retain customers. Therefore, when you are thinking about how you're going to spend your marketing dollars, investing in an online community may be just as important, if not greater than traditional advertising. If you are looking to create trust, loyalty, and positive influence, online communities can be influential in how buyers view your brand and culture. And according to the Community Roundtable 2021 study, 70% of communities have had a positive effect in how people view the company culture and the brand. Hopefully, these statistics are inspiring you to explore the notion of building your own community or at least to double down on the one that you've already created. To further your inspiration, here is my discussion with Tracy Root from the Gather Community, where we get into the nitty gritty on this subject. So get ready to learn about the biological importance for community and other cool stuff like online platforms and ways to monetize and much, much more. Here is my interview with the bold and beautiful Tracy Root. Tracy Root, welcome to Get the Balance Right podcast. Yay, thank you. I'm so excited to be here, Heather. This has been a long time coming, so I'm super excited. Tracy, I know you're a coach. You have a community called Gather. Can you tell the audience a little bit about both of those things and what you're all about? Yeah, absolutely. I am a coach and a speaker. I live in Santa Cruz, California. And my favorite thing is to build community. I started coaching around 10 years ago. Most of that was one-on-one work. Over time, I realized more and more that if people were connected to other people, they were way more likely to be successful in their endeavors, whatever they were going after. It was an adjustment for me because I very much was that young perfectionist, lone ranger, going to do everything myself. It's just easier and faster and it's too hard to ask for help. So this was a big transition and a big part of my life and my own transformation. And so I love sharing it with everyone. The idea of doing things alone We are not designed as humans to be alone, living in the caves as cavemen and women way back in the day. There's a reason why we were in groups for safety, for the benefit of everyone in so many ways. As I went through coaching and started to understand people more and really gain more experience, it came so clear to me that my favorite way to help people was to bring them together so they could all help each other. And that's when I decided to begin the journey toward creating the gather community. 
the whole thing with community years ago, people used to know their neighbors. They used to get together. Church was more ingrained in everybody's day-to-day life. People would have dinner parties. People still do those things, but it's more we're isolated. We don't even go out to the movies much anymore. For sure now, right? These days, being a year and a half into the pandemic, and I think you're right. There's a lot of places in the country still have that very community-oriented thing, small town USA type of style, but that's not what it's like here in the Bay Area. I grew up in Silicon Valley where you don't walk anywhere. You have to drive everywhere. Everyone is separated. And with the exception of being in school or like you said, like a church environment or a work environment, how else do you connect with people? The one great thing for me about the pandemic is it gave us all a wake up call of we can't get together in person. How is that affecting us? What can we do about it? It was the understanding that we have to create community wherever we can. Pre-pandemic, that might have been in the work environment or in small neighborhoods or churches or schools or whatever. But once all of that really was taken away from us, now what do we do? And that's where the gather community took what was an in-person event space and threw that out the window because we had to create a whole new experience where community can be found online because that's the option that we had in front of us. And now we can see how that's such a great solution to expanding the reach that we can all have. We can connect with people all around the world now where before we were maybe just thinking about who lived in our neighborhood. Being an entrepreneur, it is so isolating anyways, because oftentimes we're solopreneurs, we don't have employees, or maybe we work with contractors, and they may be virtual as well. We're really just out there on our own. And again, during COVID, you couldn't really go to in-person networking events. So people were having to do more and more Zoom type meetings. I've actually met a lot of people during the pandemic because it actually did give you the opportunity to meet people that were in other countries, other towns. There was some sort of blessing in that at the same time. I'm I'm sure a lot of people have some positive and negative things that happened during COVID because of the use of technology and it opened doors. But how many Zoom meetings have we been in and we're ready to get back in person? And I was just at She Podcast, which was a podcasting conference, and it was so nice to be around people again. You had this live space where people could actually be physically near each other, but you had to close that. What was the starting point for this gather location and then what happened? Yeah. My background pre-coaching was in interior design and construction project management. I created spaces for companies, for corporate. I left that almost 10 years ago to start my coaching practice. As I got to the point a few years later where I really wanted to start to do group activities, I wanted to do vision board workshops and I wanted to bring people together. And I had connected with some other communities who were doing the same thing, live workshops, all of that. And I said, this is really fun. I want to be able to do this kind of thing with my community here in Santa Cruz. And I found it really challenging to find places that were the right fit, whether it was from a style and environment standpoint, the nice vibe that I would want that's close enough to being on brand for me, 
and that was available, which was a big deal because 82% of the businesses in Santa Cruz are small businesses. So there's a lot of common space things. Everyone's looking for something when they need it and also cost-effective. We kind of had two options. We had the the multi-purpose room feel, which was cheaper and way ugly, not to call out any location specifically. Think your middle school gym kind of style or like hotels, nice hotels where the room is beautiful, but it's very hotelish. You know what I mean when I say that? And you're also tied to their catering and other requirements that make it very expensive, day minimums, all that kind of stuff. So it was very pricey and a little too formal versus cheaper, but blech. And I wanted to find something in the middle. And the things that were in the middle here in town were always very busy and very hard to book because other people had already booked them. So I decided that I would build one of my own. I went to my very favorite networking group, my Polkadot Powerhouse ladies here. And I said, so if I created this, what do you think? Do you think that would be valuable? Would you want to use it, et cetera? And they gave me a resounding yes. It was very uplifting and, and motivating. And I took that day and ran with it in the course of, it probably was just six months from that point to when we opened. And we opened in October of 2019. It was challenging. They had to learn about commercial real estate and we had to do all the renovations and negotiations and all these things. We opened in October of 2019. And of course, five months later, we had to lock the doors and wait for what we thought was going to be a short period of time at first. And I said, if people can't come to the space, like, how am I going to bridge this gap? Since when they book the room, they pay for the room and I support them with getting the word out about what they're doing. I do some marketing and promotion. I put things in the local newspaper and lots of things online. And when we had to close, I thought to myself, some of these people aren't used to doing things online. And I've been working online and on Zoom for years already. So it's a very comfortable place. And social media, same thing. So I said, you know, they're going to need some support and transitioning to online while we bridge this gap while we wait to be able to reopen, I told them that I would help them. You move it online. I'm still going to do the promotion for you. And after about a month, we realized that we weren't going to be going back really anytime soon. And so instead of having people pay for the room and getting all that promotion, I created a membership opportunity. So people bought into the membership and depending on their needs, they either got some basic promotion for the things that they were doing online, a couple of workshops a month, a little bit of visibility on our socials and a newsletter, or they were doing lots of things. So they got lots of promotion, video support and a landing page and all of this additional visibility. That's when the Gather community was born. Within a month or so, we were able to see that things were going to open up pretty slowly. We didn't realize it would be a year and a half later, but it's great because the people who engaged in our membership were able to not only leverage the local connections, but my list from years of coaching was national. So I was able to leverage that history with this now national community and help people reach people that they never would have met had this not happened. It's been a really amazing journey to get them in front of people that they've never met all around the country. And on some of our events, we've had people from around the world. So it's been really exciting. How can I find more people? How can I get more visibility with the goal being that our members get seen. A real easy goal to wrap your head around when you really believe in what they're doing. That's really cool. So you, again, I hate the word pivot because it's been so overused, but I use expand because it was, it wasn't even a turn. It was like a whole new thing. 
That's amazing. All right. So we're going to go into the topic of building a community. And you've given your example of how you started to do that. So many people that are in business today, they're trying to build a community just because that's something that they're told they need to do, build a Facebook community or something to coincide with their business. But there seems to be so many communities now on Facebook that building a community there is starting to get really difficult. Let's just start off with Why would someone want to build a community around their business? We are not designed to do things on our own, whether it's human evolution or look at someone like Brene Brown, who really studies people. We're designed as humans to support each other, to be with each other, to be on this journey of life together. The idea of community, you could call it a community. You could call it your circle of friends. You could call it a Facebook group. Really, that is a community. It's a lot of semantics, depending on what you call it. But bottom line is that we're attracted to people who are like us at first. And then we can also seek out people who are not like us in order to learn more. And both of those can be part of our community as we start to expand. Last year with everything, with the pandemic, everything got hyped up into like super extremes with Everything that happened with Black Lives Matter and the whole Me Too movement, if we can embrace the idea of connecting to people and understanding them better, supporting people who are trying to do good things, asking for help, allowing others to help you. That's one of my core values is the idea of reciprocal help. If you're helping people, like as a coach, I'm helping people, but I also need to be open to receiving help and to ask for help because if I'm not able to receive it? What kind of value am I really putting out there? So that back and forth, I really feel when things are bad in the world, in governments or politics or disagreements about COVID and all of that stuff, it's the the give and take of asking for and receiving and giving help that ties everyone together. If we're against each other, we're like pounding fists. And if we're supporting each other, then everything weaves together and it's better understanding. Whatever you want to call it, if you want to call it community or your tribe, it really just comes down to allowing each other to be in each other's lives and be seen and be heard and be understood. It's a basic human need to have. It's something that once we can realize that it's true, we can move forward from there. And I think there's a lot of resistance out of fear of being judged, being seen inaccurately, or showing your true kind of letting your guts hang out there. And if you can get through the fear, knowing that there's other people out there that are just like you who are also afraid. And so if you're brave, then they can be brave. And that's the giving and receiving help and and everyone wins. It's just a win all over the place. It seems like with the online communities that I've been a part of that are more geared towards females, it seems more supportive than some of the other online communities that I've been in where it has a little bit more competition or you might have some snarky remarks. So I think it's just a matter of finding the right community that's the right fit for you and what you're looking for and what will lift you up and not make you feel bad about yourself. Yeah, totally. I think communities of women as a rule tend to tend in that direction. I definitely gravitate towards those groups. And if I enter in a group that is new to me and it's not that way, I'm probably not going to stick around very long. 
I don't know that it has to be gender exclusive. I have a guy that I follow who's a Tony Robbins trainer and that group is super supportive. And there's something about the way that the leaders have built that community that allow it to also be what we're looking for in a supportive community. But then there's the whole other side of it. Bottom line, you can find anything on the internet, good, bad, and ugly. And it's either going to confirm your bias, be the opposite of your bias. It's going to be exactly what you're looking for, whether that's good or bad. And I like the idea of thinking about the leader because the leader really does set the tone of what the community should be about. All right. So let's go into some sort of nuts and bolts. So if people are thinking about they want to build a community, we talked about Facebook. There's things like Clubhouse, Mighty Networks, LinkedIn. There's all kinds of things we can do things through Zoom. But if someone wants to build a community, do you feel like they need to have some sort of following first? Should they have a business? Is there any right way to start a community or wrong way to start a community? Or what are your tips on that? I think it comes down to what's the point? What are you trying to accomplish? What message are you trying to get across? Why are you trying to build the community in the first place? The Gather community was created out of wanting to support entrepreneurs to be able to continue their businesses, especially in the pandemic. And now we're going to move on from there into conquering the world or whatever. But if your community is about supporting special needs kids, or if your community is about artists or whatever, it, it can be about whatever. The question is, what's the point? What are you trying to accomplish? The location of that community is really more about where are those people? I tend to be an early adopter in things as a rule, not necessarily the earliest, but on that ramp up, I was a MySpace girl before Facebook. I was on Facebook relatively early. I tend to join the new things because I am a learner. I like to learn new things. Just because it exists doesn't necessarily mean that's the right thing for you in this time of the season or for your people. When I started coaching 10 years ago, I was already really visible on Facebook. I already had probably a couple thousand friends because of my history and its alumni organizations and school and the backstory of a 40 something year old person. But, or I guess I was still in my thirties back then. So I already had a community there personally that then morphed into not only my personal community, but a professional focused community as well. That said, there are other ways, other places to find people. A lot of younger people, especially tend to be on Instagram, especially younger people tend to be on TikTok, although it's not exclusive. Clubhouse obviously is relatively new to many of us and I'm enjoying starting to meet people there. But again, it's, it's where are your people? So as someone who's in their early fifties, who's looking for people in their forties, fifties ish range, Facebook is a major location. Even with the downsides of Facebook these days, I'm not like picking up stakes and traveling away. I am conscious about what I'm doing there. But the other piece of all of this social media stuff too, and I heard this from someone that I followed for many years, and they said, don't build your empire on someone else's land. So what does that mean? That means Facebook is not yours. Instagram is not yours. TikTok is not yours. Clubhouse is not yours. None of these places are yours. What's yours? Your list, your mailing list, your website, and your mailing list. And technically the website, you rent space for that too. So technically the internet could fall apart and that could go away too. But the list is yours. You've cultivated this list of people. You've developed relationships with them. 
And the best thing to remember to do is that they're your people and you want to stay connected to them. So whether that's through email or through telephone, we just want to make sure that we're cultivating those relationships wherever those people are at and wherever we can access them. And if Facebook dies, then we can still move on and we'll still be connected to the people that matter to us and who we matter to. You mentioned Mighty Networks and there are a number of applications that people can use to have their own community off of social media on an app or whatever. And I belong to a networking group that uses one, I think it's called Apricot. And I think these are fine. Again, it's more of a place to keep your list and a a communication method, but it still comes down to where are you going to communicate with people and what's the best way to reach them? There's going to be something that's probably the right solution for you, but there's so many. Find what works for you based on where your people are. Yeah, that's a good point. And with the membership, even like I use Squarespace for my websites and they have rolled out a membership program as well. Let's now move on to that whole idea of monetizing. Now, a membership could be a free membership. It could be a paid membership. And I know with like Mighty Networks, there's different tiers where you can have people pay to be a member of your group or whatever. What are your thoughts on when you're building your tribe or your group? I guess it depends on what, uh, like you were mentioning, what is it that you want to get out of it? But there's different groups that have a paid version, a free version. Do you have any thoughts on when is the time to have a paid membership and what do you have to offer to have someone pay? I think it depends on what your business is. As a coach, I have a variety of things from A to Z that I could offer someone in our community or once they pay, now they're a client, but a client who's at kind of a ground level position versus a client who needs more involved mentoring or maybe someone who needs some real nuts and bolts kind of education. These are all different places on the journey of the same person. Someone can be one thing and then they're the next thing and then the next thing. And the ideal of moving them along in their journey, that's the job of a coach. I want to help them move along in their journey. So for someone who's not a coach, again, it just depends on what it is that you offer that is going to bring value to the client. If what you're offering is camaraderie and fun and community, the membership is free, but then maybe the events cost some money. And maybe depending on the event, that money is different. Or maybe it's some sort of elite like mentorship situation where being a member of that small community, there's a fee related to it and you get a certain amount of attention and all of that. Again, it just depends on what it is if the client's getting value from the money that they're spending and way more value than maybe is necessary because we want to be generous. Yeah. Everything now is a membership. We have Netflix. I have so many software programs that are on a membership. I'm a member of different mastermind groups. We're being pulled in so many different directions. There's so much stimuli everywhere all the time. How do you keep people engaged in your community? It seems like that would be one of the most difficult things. Engagement is really, that's the thing. It's not necessarily the most difficult thing because it's really the thing. To keep connected to the people who are paying you money is really important. And at the same time, sometimes people join your membership and you attempt to stay connected to them and they ghost. So all of those things happen to all of us. I think that the younger me five, six years ago probably would have thought that was my fault. But at the same time, it is my job to continue to attempt to engage 
with everyone who is a client. And depending on the relationship and what they're getting out of it, there's going to be varying levels of success. All we can do is what we believe is the right thing to do. If we know it's the right thing to do and it's not going so great, we'll keep doing it because maybe it's not the right season for them. And if what we're doing doesn't quite feel like it's the right thing to do, then switch it up change it again. One of the things I'm doing right now is really getting a clear vision of what we want to do for next year Mm. for not only the gather memberships, but also for my coaching clients. I've got a quantity of different things to offer people based on what they need and where they are in their life or in their business. My goal then would be to make a good match. What is it that is the right thing for them in this season? Let's start there. And then maybe we'll move on or maybe they'll decide that they want to go somewhere else or maybe they'll want to stay exactly where they're at and do that a couple of times. Or maybe they'll just explode and who knows? Part of the engagement with your members, it seems like you also want to make sure that they're getting out of it what you wanted them to get out of it. Do you ever do polls or ask for feedback or how do you go about that? One of the things that I do with our gather members is we have a live meeting every month. Oh, not everyone makes it every time, but it's something that we have had consistently every single month, all year long. And because part of what I'm offering is consistent visibility promotion, it was really important to me to make sure that happens every single month. Being committed to the things that you promise, that's gold. You have to be a person of your word that if this is what's promised, then you better darn do it because that's your reputation at stake. Just doing the very best that you can for them to be able to fulfill the promise that you gave them in the first place. And in this case is to highlight them and to give them as much visibility and consistent promotion and access to new people as I possibly can, which includes growing my lists and growing my groups, inviting people and personally sharing things. Nice. And I like this idea that rather than just doing a survey that would just be impersonal, you're actually communicating and talking with them. Well, I have a relationship. I'm just me. It's If I were Tony Robbins, I might do something like have a survey and stuff because that person has umpteen thousands of people in their community and they need to get a pulse on the general population. I am not in these numbers at this time, but what I want to do is I want to understand what are you getting out of it? What are you enjoying? How would you like things to be different? I did actually recently, I just am finishing the second round of a short like master course that, that we've been doing called the breakthrough lab. And since it was a brand new course, I decided that in the first round, I was adjusting things each week as we went along to make sure that I was really serving the people that were in the class. And after the third week, I was like, you know what? I really would enjoy your feedback. I'm going to send you something. It'll take you a minute, real brief. And I did do a survey for that. And it was also an invitation to give me any really anonymous feedback or send me a testimonial. That is something that you're willing to do. And I don't really normally do that, but I felt, hey, maybe I'll see how this goes, test something new. And it went great. Like one of the questions was, this is four weeks. Do you think four weeks is good? Should it be longer? Should it be a half day class? And people answered the question, which is great. I want to make sure that if it's a four week class, they like think that it should be a four week class and that's what they're getting out of it. I don't know that I would do that for things smaller and like a workshop. Plus you want to get feedback from people 
who you've got this relationship with that they're going to be honest with you and they're not going to just be like a troll. Because if there's no relationship, there's no harm in them being abrasive. The world of social media has taught a lot of people about the value or the lack of value in a lot of commentary and negative comments out there and stuff. And you can't let that sway what you know is right. But getting a little bit of feedback, it's just got to be in the right time. Tracy, how do people get a hold of you? How do they join Gather? Do you let anybody into this or is this uh, by invitation only? How do you get into Gather? Yeah, anyone can be part of our community on Facebook. It's a Facebook group called the Gather Community with Tracy Root. And it's private group. So you do have to ask to be invited in, answer questions, that kind of thing. Only because of the way Facebook works that public groups, if you don't know about the algorithm and all that stuff, basically public groups don't ever show up for anyone. And so by privatizing the group, we're able to have people see the posting more often, which is the whole point of being together is seeing each other. Anyone can join that. Men, women, whatever, can all be a part of that. Our members, our paid members are all women entrepreneurs. And that is a you know offshoot from my coaching business where I serve primarily women who are looking to be bolder and achieve great things in their life or in their business. So you can find me at tracyroot.com. You can find me on Facebook anywhere, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Clubhouse, You can find me all the places and it's Tracy with an IE is the only trick and root is like the bottom of a tree. We'll have the links to all of those in the show notes as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tracy. This has been really great. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me. It's been super fun. Thanks. Thank you so much. 